Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, Lenten Preaching Edition, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church, recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. From Psalm 57, my heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. Wake up, my heart. Wake up, O lyre and harp. I will wake the dawn with my song. I will thank you, Lord, among all the people. I will sing your praises among the nations. 
for your unfailing love is as high as the heavens. Your faithfulness reaches to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the highest heavens. May your glory shine over all the earth. Good morning. Thank you so much for the lovely welcome. And um, I, the, I guess the serendipity was to get to play with Kristen. I sort of usurped my way into that one. And uh, that was really lovely. I come to you this morning uh, <clears throat> in the African tradition of not being afraid of bright colors. Uh, this uh, Nigerian jacket uh, is one of my favorites, and I figured since it's the spring, time to get the colors going. Thank you so much for reading that scripture. Um, my heart is confident in you, oh God. My heart is confident. Prophecy and gospel are rooted in a contemplative and non-dual way of knowing a way of being in the world that is utterly free and grounded in the compassion of God. Prophecy and gospel are rooted in a contemplative and non-dual way of knowing, a way of being in the world that is utterly free and grounded in the compassion of God. This statement from the popular writer, lecturer, Franciscan priest, Richard Rohr, adequately describes where many folks, including myself, are in this ever-evolving epoch of religious thought. It represents, in some ways, a breaking free of the shackles of a dualistic and almost competitive religious paradigm. If Jesus wins, then everybody else must lose. It wasn't that long ago, for instance, when a Muslim or Buddhist or Hindu or African or Native American or any other indigenous teaching couldn't realistically be considered instructive or beneficial or edifying in any way for a Christ worshiper like me. And if you go back far enough, it would have surely been adequate evidence to get you burned at the stake. And I personally never saw this exclusivism as being arrogant or dismissive in any way. I saw it and still do in some ways as being faithful to the Savior, to the gospel, and to the Christian traditions, I thankfully accept that as true. Thank you, Reverend K.T. Whalem, uh, who is now in heaven, and First Lady Miss Helen Whalem uh, at Olivet Baptist Church on Southern for so many years, uh, next to the Bunton Cafe. It was sort of like the way you knew where their church was. Is that, well, it's just next to Bunton, <laughs> as opposed to the other way around. But change and evolve, we must. And change and evolve, I did and continue to do. Remember that as the Israelites, those former unwelcome citizens of an African country called Egypt, once found out, wandering in the desert can be survived if there is a portable temple where the holy abides that is constantly moving and always out front, something that never changes but is constantly changing positions. So then once I expanded my spiritual horizons to accommodate a, a new space for contemplation and spiritual curiosity, I had to learn a new way of holding all these things in tension without feeling as if I were somehow slipping 
I don't believe I'm alone in this. And yet the non-dualistic way of contemplation, though ancient, is as controversial to some degree today as ever. Clinging to faith in a living, loving, all-powerful God and to the gospel of redemption through Jesus does present us with daily challenges, to say the least. Now added to that list of challenges is what seems to be a new one. How to remain focused on and joyful about that which changeth not, while accepting the existential reality of constant and rapid change all around us. And yea, even changes in the ways we think about God. As we make room for these new and sometimes very old ways of thinking, reserving space to be right about this but potentially wrong about that, to be sure about this but have doubts about that, self-assured about this but humbly open to other people's way of seeing the world. Two very big questions, imperatives, mandates, ancient directives have risen to the top for me personally. And I'd like to share them both with you in the time we have here this afternoon. First of all, allow me to pray again. God of creation, how wonderful it is to be in fellowship, well, to be out of the house, <laughs> and to be in fellowship with those who seek you, those who desire to know you, and to know you better today than yesterday. Thank you so much for the, I, I say, under the hood, of this beautiful sanctuary that there is an eternal and pragmatic and beautiful work that goes on 24 seven and that blesses this community. I'm so grateful that just for one quick moment today I can enter into the work of this pastor and this pastoral team and all those who make that happen by your spirit. Open us to your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Let us be honest. There are more than enough good reasons for already suspicious folks to abandon the faith of our fathers in this current epoch. In the 2018 General Social Survey of U.S. Attitudes, no religion became the single largest group edging out evangelical Christians. I've even learned a new word in my preparation for this message, apatheist or apatheist. I didn't know that word. It describes someone who simply doesn't care about religion. In January 2014, the Pew Forum on Religious and Public Life released statistics on their recent studies on religion and violence in the world. The number of countries in the world affected by religion-related violence has doubled over the past six years. Women face harassment due to religious dress in nearly a third of countries in this world, 32%, up from 25% in 2011. And I would add that women, while blazing brave new trails of leadership and service all over the place, are more at risk in some ways than ever in religious settings. And before we imagine in our minds that the perpetrators of this kind of senseless violence and harassment are all radical Muslims in a faraway land. Let's not gloss over the ugly white supremacist violence against our own government, literally attempting to overthrow the results of a national election. 
having feasted on a buffet of lies and propaganda. And the raw and inconvenient fact that a large majority of those gathered that day in our capital with weapons, crucifixes, and life-size crosses and nooses with Bibles in hand were Christians. Let that sink in for a moment. Jesus-worshiping, Christ-following, tithe-paying, church-belonging Christians led the charge to nullify a whole election and usurp the will of millions of their fellow Americans. Is it any wonder that spiritual seekers and those who would otherwise be open to the message of the cross are now pushed further away from faith because of Christians? Suppose that Christians becoming veritable gauntlets to faith and trust in and worship of the God of the Bible. But look no further than our own families. And I actually worried for a split second that saying this publicly could possibly get me in trouble with my own progeny, but till I realized that there's a very good chance that they would unfortunately not have been real interested in sitting here at Calvary to hear me go on and on some more about Jesus. I don't think I'm the only one here who experiences a bit of pushback from family members, especially Generation X kids, uh, when we assert our faith claim and our determination to follow and worship the living God. And in this current context of new ideas and new paradigms, what are the main questions on the floor concerning faith and religion? I'll share these two from my own personal spiritual journey. Number one. At the end of the day, after we plotted through that day's batch of new information, new opinions and discoveries, and even wonderful new philosophical insights such as the one from Dr. Rohr that I shared earlier, is Jesus to be worshiped? And number two, in light of all the crises that are upon us right now, shall I take refuge in him? And I'll go ahead and let the cat out of the bag by way of the title of this little sermonette. Uh, I'll speak for the rest of, of my time here under the title, I'm going to worship Jesus, and I'm going to take refuge in him. Ruby and I were born and met right here in Memphis uh, at ages 14 and 15. I'm 62 right now. I'm not sure how old she is. We then both attended an awesome HBCU, historically black college university, called Texas Southern University, and subsequently began our lives together for over 10 years there in a huge, diverse, and international city called Houston. It may be hard for some to imagine how giant a change that was for two black kids from Orange Mound and Glenview Heights, but I think some of y'all get it. Then we spent the next almost 10 years in an even bigger, more diverse, and more international city called Los Angeles, ever expanding our horizons and, in particular, our understanding of and fluency in world culture and in the Queen's English. Next was Paris, where our four kids attended French immersion schools in a system where even the English we thought we knew was challenged, as most of the English reflected in their studies was an English rooted in a place across the channel called England. Go figure. I think some people think that English began here in America. Donc, nous parlons bien, assez bien le français. 
Nous pouvons s'entretenir en français si, si vous voulez. A few years after returning stateside, Ruby and I took two of the kids and with us for an extended stint of intensive Spanish studies in the lovely hamlet of Antigua de Guatemala. Entonces hablamos bastante bien español. But trust me, none of this could have prepared us for the language lesson we were in for when 13 years ago we moved back home to Memphis. We were, in short order, reintroduced to contractions and other contortions and distortions of the mother tongue, such as, I'm finna. What you finna do? We gon' We gonna do this here. What you gonna do? Where y'all at? And the one pertinent for this homily, I'ma. I'ma do this, and then I'ma do that. But I've grown comfortable with my Memphis lingo at this point, or at least resigned to the fact of its ubiquity and usefulness as a shortcut to communicate with the locals. The spiritual scriptural text I've shared is one that does that, but in another way. It cuts to the chase in a contemporary context of questions about the legitimacy, the veracity of the faith. Even more so, in my mind, at least, about the claims of Jesus. I was even told recently by a dear friend that Jesus never once said that he was to be worshipped. To which I replied, what's your point? I actually think that if Jesus had instructed us to worship him, had insisted on it, it would have been kind of a turnoff to me in my young, simplistic way of thinking when I first met him. Like, this dude is kind of arrogant, isn't he? The thing I've noticed about folks with real power is that you really never know it by talking to them. You see, the psalmist here is not asking me to convince you to worship Jesus but rather he allows us both to be voyeurs of a sort in a two-way conversation between him and his God. I can imagine, for example, these words uh, in verse 7 spoken through tears of anguish rather than necessarily tears of joy or confidence, fighting through feelings of weariness and confusion rather than conviction, in the context of questions rather than set answers, of wringing of hands rather than folding them in sublime adoration and prayer, where perhaps through a mist of indecision and doubt, the psalmist looks inward at the face of the spirit of Jesus and says, almost as a blind, insurgent, and defiant confession of his adoration, my heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident almost as if to say whatever noise I'm surrounded by right now in my mind and in culture, my heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. As if in that moment he's found that place of inner conviction guided and motivated by his heart, his heart connection with the Savior rather than his intellect. In an environment of questioning, can we be confident? Shall we worship him no matter what? Shall we not lean into the Lord during this unique season of challenges and change? 
Are there things I can do in the meantime to stem the tide of this foreboding mass exodus from the faith? Yes, there are a few things, I believe. Do what comes instinctively to you and in your circle. But by all means, stand strong in your faith. For we walk by faith and not by sight. And for God's sake and according to his command, fear not. Don't be seduced by the spirit of fear that has captivated so many Christians today. That's probably a Christian calling me right now on my watch. You shouldn't have a watch that rings. I don't know why they have. Don't be seduced by the spirit of fear that has captivated so many Christians today. A fear that inspires that other spirit of the Judas type of austerity, better known as stinginess. But rather choose to courageously exercise that generosity muscle that the Spirit has deposited in you and in me. It's counterintuitive, it's insurgent, disarming. It's one of the many things that separates the man Jesus from those who would never have allowed themselves to be humiliated like that, to suffer such unspeakable harm at the violent hands of the mob. The thing which makes Calvary unique in a context of cowardice and convenience. Allow me to just say as a point of reference that there are many, I think, like me, who look at Calvary Episcopal and say, why can't everybody be like y'all? Because you may not know this, but there's a historical fact that white folks fled in mass from this area. Uh, I don't know. I can't figure why, uh, but but you didn't. And and you somehow figured it out. And those who uh, were making decisions back then figured out the whole second. I wonder if maybe God is calling us to this particular spot right here, like geographically right here to be the kind of blessing we may not be able to be out there or somewhere else sequestered off. I'm just saying. Now, if you are waiting for me to present a reasoned, researched, documented, and philosophical argument complete with citations for why I'm going to worship Jesus, um, I hope you won't be disappointed. And besides, that would be super nerdy, and we don't have time for it. It's lunchtime. It would be fun for Pastor Scott and me, but maybe not for you. So I offer no proofs, no exegetical or theological arguments, no particular historical scaffolding upon which to build my conviction today, other than Christ and him crucified. But rather, I offer the testament not the Old or the New Testament, but the Newer Testament, which is also ancient and which I pray rises up in you as well. A testament spoken before you today through the foolishness of a saxophone with the divine and eternal God language of music with which I'll end my talk. The testament of my own soul. Coincidentally, the same testament that the writer of Romans spoke to us through poetry when he, when he wrote, I am persuaded. 
that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other created thing shall be able to separate me from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus my Lord. As I remember the riches of his revelation, the wonder of his wisdom, and as I experience the raw courage of the cross, the existential easement of his embrace, I'm going to worship him. I wrote in a song not long ago, a song, by the way, for which I was able to pick up a nice little statue from my mother's living room, that I should quit trying to figure him out. Quit trying to justify the unjustifiable in intellectual, human in intellectual terms at least. Quit trying to figure out how he can still love someone like me. He quietly reminds me today, as I wrote in this lyric, it's because you're mine. It's because you're you. It's because I'm love. It's what I do. Loving and comforting and reassuring fragile and fretful children is what Jesus does. And I, for one, this child, will worship him until my last breath. And briefly allow me to, this final moment to address that second question I mentioned. Shall I take refuge in him? In this season of crisis after crisis after crisis, a season of such a dearth of easy answers and when none of the answers we do have prove sufficient to the task of such widespread suffering and grief. And if I hear another politician say, our thoughts and prayers are with you, I think I'm just going to throw up. Do something. Don't just talk about your thoughts and prayers. Let's see if we can make people's lives better. But if we'll go back to the first very first verse of this psalm, we didn't read it, we view what I would say is a tenuous but dogged conviction of at least one man. And we see a veritable YouTube tutorial of a plan of action adopted by the faithful now for generations. And I'll read this verse, uh, the older version from the King James. Psalm 57, one says, Be merciful unto me, O God, be merciful unto me. For my soul trusteth in thee. Yea, in the shadow of thy wings will I take refuge until these calamities be overpassed. If the Spirit leads you, close your eyes and reaffirm this quietly to yourselves as I present a musical testimonial. I'm going to worship Jesus, and I'm going to take refuge in him.
The Calvary Podcast theme music was composed by Spence Bailey. Special thanks to Robin Banks, Director of Communications at Calvary, and Heidi Rupke, Lenten Preaching Series Coordinator. And thanks to you for listening. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.